Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so I'd like to welcome to the show today, Nathan. How are you doing, mate? Good, Frank. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm just enjoying a little pick-me-up coffee at the moment, so uh, waking myself up a little bit. <laughs> nice. So uh, so I know you as the co-host of the Colin Albeans podcast and also the Liminal Frames podcast, as well as being a name that kind of pops up a lot on UFO Twitter. And uh, since it's the first time we've spoke on the show, could you give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself, please, and what got you interested in the the topic? Of course, yeah. So, um, you know, like a lot of folks, and I think like yourself, Frank, as well, you know, I've really just kind of been interested in this topic for for many years, but not, I would say, kind of focused on it, hyper-focused on it until the last few years uh, from... Uh, the stuff that Tom DeLong was involved with. And of course, the New York Times article from 2017, everyone's kind of familiar with that. Uh, that really piqued my interest and got me much more into the topic on a regular basis. Started following a lot of uh, folks on UFO Twitter back then. And then some point in 2020, I think it was, uh, I decided to kind of become a little bit more active Um you know, getting more actively involved in UFO Twitter. And then last year, uh, eventually I decided to jump into the podcast circuit and, and do some of that as well. I had, been, had done a little bit of it uh, before, just through some listener call-ins through uh, Andy McGrillen's show that everyone's familiar with, I'm sure, that UFO podcast, uh, the work that Andy and Dan do. Uh, and so I was calling on a couple of those shows. And through, really through Andy, uh, I, I met DJ, uh, who had his own podcast uh, he'd been doing for a number of years, but really focused on um, his own interests. So MMA and, and NBA, kind of more of a sports focus. But DJ, uh, those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's a, he's a sort of retired Air Force uh, individual, um, really great guy, huge heart. And you know, he, after hearing me through Andy, uh, just kind of reached out and said, Hey, do you want to kind of get into this? You want to do, do something together? And I was like, well, I mean, I kind of felt a little bit on the fence about it. I, I wasn't sure. I've always sort of thought about doing it, but it, you know, it, to be honest with you, and I think you've probably experienced this yourself, you can't have a great conversation on Twitter, right? So <laughs> you can have a better conversation on a podcast, uh, you know, by, or through a phone call. And I think, um, what we're trying to do with our show calling all beings is really to sort of foster that conversation uh, in the community that can be a positive uh, conversation, really validate what people uh, kind of bring to the table with their own experiences um, and have some, some fun, but also do some interviews at the same time. So I think, you know, for me, at least the podcasting is really almost like a substitute. We talked a little bit about before the recording for just like going down to the local pub, having a pint and talking about something that we're all interested in. So for me, it's really just a, it's a platform 
for us to have that conversation and do it in a way that's respectful and just more engaging than the the back and forth of a, of a Twitter exchange. Yeah, definitely. And um, some of the listeners will have heard when DJ was on the show as well. I had DJ on a, a few weeks back. And yeah, great guy. If you're listening, DJ, big up yourself. And um, <laughs> yeah, call, calling all beans. I re- recommend you know everyone go and check out you guys' show because it's, it's a really interesting show a really unique format as well with all the different perspectives that the various, you know, co-hosts that you guys have. And, um, yeah, I, I really like the show. So Thank you. Uh, have you ever had, um, a sighting or experience yourself that you, that you're willing to, to talk about? I haven't, uh, at least not in the kind of traditional sense. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I love your intro to your show because I really identify with that, um, a lot. But what's interesting, and I think, I think those uh, of your listeners and all of us who are kind of following this topic closely, for me anyway, it, it, the more I follow it, the more I tend to kind of reflect back on my own life and think about events in my life or things that I may have kind of brushed off as being, you know, just a synchronicity or something. And for me, the, the phenomenon, the study of phenomenon has sort of kind of re-enchanted aspects of, of my past. Um, and made me wonder, you know, to what degree did some of those little moments, you know, kind of relate to something bigger, uh, than I was aware of at the time. And it, it sounds kind of, you know, fairly mystical in a way, uh, or even religious. And, you know, I do have a little bit of a background with religion. So, you know, I'm comfortable kind of talking about it in that way. Um, but I, I would also say, I don't know. I just think that, you know, if you spend enough time in this, in this uh, subject, you can't help but sort of think a little bit about the, th- the events that shape all of our lives and, and kind of, you know, where they come from, what they mean and, and how they, you know, and two, I think like how as a person, as we get older, we, and this is true, whether it's a phenomenal experience or not, we'll look back at an experience of our life and we'll reinterpret that in a different way because it is colored by a new experience that we've had since then. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's part of the exercise, right? Um, so yeah, I haven't had one. I would love to have one. <laughs> I'm a little bit wary of it too. You know, I know people um, like James Andoli, you know, who are really big into the CE5 stuff. Um, you know, I would like to try it. I'm also a little bit apprehensive about it. Just kind of like, is that a good idea? I'm, I'm think I'm on the fence, um, but I think it would be really cool to see something. Uh, so hopefully one day I'll have that chance. Yeah, and I know exactly what you mean, and, and I've kind of done the same thing. There was a, there were a lot of things, you know, growing up and, and that kind of thing that that perhaps I experienced, even like small things like synchronicities and you know those side of things, or where you can have like a premonition in a dream, and you kind of just brush it off as oh, it's it's you know it's just one of those things. It's just it's just a dream, as as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. But then the further you look into the you know the UFO topic and all the associated you know, phenomena, because obviously there's the typical things if you see something in the sky, you know, like a disc or whatever. But the more you look into the topic, you do realize that there is a lot more strange kind of high strangeness type of phenomena, you know, associated with the topic. But what I find, I'd be interested to see if, if, if you've kind of done this as well. You do look back and and kind of start to tie threads together of oh maybe that thing that I experienced was somehow you know a, a, a phenomena that I witnessed and things like that, but it's like how do you draw that line as to am I just going back and 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 sort of forcibly making things that I experienced fit in with this, or was it genuinely some mm-hmm. kind of strange phenomenon that I did witness? You know what I mean? Have you have you thought much about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we we're very good at creating story with our normal experiences, right? So things that um, things that I experience that are pretty pretty similar to things you experience uh, that most of us experience. Let's put it that way. Uh, we're all very good at kind of um, kind of boxing those moments into a into a narrative that that constitutes the story of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a birth, uh, we have uh, our growing up period, our parents, our, our, our siblings, if we have any, 
you know, our first love, our job, you know, all these things kind of fight into these buckets and they kind of create this picture of, of who we are. And uh, what's interesting to me is like, we're always in the process of, you know, examining and refashioning that story to some degree. Um, there are parts of it that I think we make pretty solid and, and strong and immutable in many ways. Um, but then there are other parts of it, like we just talked about, that are very much kind of in, in flux and open to interpretation. And for me, that kind of points more to what what really might be going on generally. You know, I'm, I'm one of these proponents of you know, kind of consciousness is the basis of understanding what is going on uh, with, with the phenomenon more broadly. You know, so I'm in I'm in the consciousness camp more so than I'm in the, you know, it's a technology camp hmm. or, or their ETs or whatever. Not that they couldn't be, but I think at the root of it all is conscious experience. And, you know, what we kind of label as, you know, phenomenal um, are really just kind of like outliers to normal experience. But experience itself is like phenomenal in many ways, if you really think about it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a weird way that we've kind of bucketed these weird moments, the, these strange moments in this category called the phenomenon. And then like consensus experience that we all have is quote unquote normal. And we're comfortable with that sort of uh, disassociation. But I'm wondering if that's, if that's even a fair uh, way to approach it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the, the way that you said that like all of existence and the fact that we are conscious and aware of, of reality in itself is kind of a very strange phenomenon isn't it you know so when you when mm -hmm. you consider some of these aspects of you know like high strangeness you know it, it kind of is all linked in with our actual experience of reality which in itself is quite a, a strange thing it's just that we accept that as normal because that's what you know that's what we sort of grow up accepting as normal isn't it but mm -hmm. there's definitely the the whole idea of consciousness being behind this is is something that i i'm fascinated by but sort of struggle to get my head around how how would you kind of explain that like that consciousness is key kind of thing as as people say yeah so one thing that i've really been getting into in the last few weeks and months is um a metaphysical concept known as idealism. So there are kind of two m metaphysical models that, uh, that we'll talk about here. So one is the one that we're all accustomed to, and that is reductionist materialism. So the world that you and I live in, the science that we know is based on a materialist view of reality, you know, that everything is sort of reducible to uh, constituent pieces, you know, sort of atoms and things that are smaller than atoms, you know, they all ultimately are, you know, kind of particles, right? Um, and everything that we know is sort of built upon the foundation of, of particles and physics that, you know, kind of l ladders up from there to where you ultimately have conscious experience that we have, we're having trouble explaining. So that's really, you know, I would say that that is the materialist viewpoint that our minds and our biology, you know, sort of generate consciousness. Consciousness is what they call an epiphenomenon of mind, of, of the brain. Um, but a different way of looking at it is idealism. So under idealism, uh, consciousness is the base aspect of reality. And the things that you and I see and call matter and particles are, are sort of an expression or epiphenomenon of consciousness. It's the other way around. Um, and our quantum physics really seems to point in the, this direction. A lot of the early uh, scientists who worked in, you know, in quantum mechanics and uh, in a qu quantum physics really became, in some ways, kind of mystical about the things that they were discovering. Uh, and we're still struggling with, with sort of the ramifications of, of quantum mechanics, you know, the, the double slit experiment, um, you know, the, the, the classic Schrodinger's cat example that seemed to point to the fact that reality becomes what we would call real when we observe it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different way of looking at it. Another way to describe it, I can point folks in a direction to kind of learn more about this is to the work of uh, a man named Bernardo Castrop, 
Um, he's got several videos on YouTube, but uh, he has a like a six part. I think it's a six part course on analytic idealism, and the the metaphor that he uses is that our experience of the world is a lot like being in an airplane. You know, you're a pilot in an airplane, and you have your instrument panel, your dashboard of of dials in front of you. And you can fly the airplane based purely on your understanding of those dials. You don't have to actually see the air outside the airplane to fly. And so he's saying that just like that is true, it is also true that our perception, our sensory perception of, of reality is that dashboard of dials. We aren't actually ever experiencing what is base reality. So base reality lies somewhere below that layer of perception. Um, the dials are helpful and they do help us to, you know, make advances in science and all this kind of stuff, but they aren't based reality itself. And so with that model and way of looking at the world, uh, I think we can come to a, kind of a different way of understanding what's going on with the UFO phenomenon, but also with uh, paranormality and, and other high strangeness. So at this point in the conversation, unfortunately, we had a bit of a technical issue. So we both had to restart our devices and pick up the conversation. So I just thought I'd drop a little note in just for any listeners who wonder why there's a bit of a break in the continuity of the conversation. That is why. So let's get straight back into it. Yeah, so uh, we've got these two models of reality. We have materialism, again, which we're all really familiar with. This is the world we've been born into the model that we're most comfortable with and understanding how things quote unquote work. And then we have idealism, which is um, it takes some of the concepts of materialism, but, but puts consciousness as the fundamental basis of reality and everything flows out of consciousness. Uh, I would encourage folks to, to listen to the let lecture series uh, from Bernardo Castro. You can find that on the YouTube channel is the uh, Essentia foundation. It's a six-part series there, and they're they're kind of lengthy. I mean, it's it's probably seven hours of content, but it's really good. Um, your audience, I think, would really enjoy it because it's a it's a lot of just really kind meaty material uh, that goes into sort of the metaphysics and uh, why the analytical analytic idealism model is uh, really compelling in the face of things that we are learning and and continuing to learn. Uh, from our current understanding of science. Uh, so implications from quantum physics uh, that seem to be in greater harmony with uh, the sort of model of reality that idealism proposes, uh, our understanding of neuroscience. Um, on that on that front, um, your listeners may be familiar with the research that has been done with respect to uh, near-death experience or out-of-body experience. Uh, the survival of consciousness after death. Um, if folks are familiar with uh, the Bigelow uh, Institute for Consciousness Studies, the BICS contest that recently concluded a couple of months ago, um, the winner of that contest was Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, um, and uh, he's been you know studying the paranormal and and uh, you know high strangeness for decades. Uh, but he wrote the winning essay of that contest. I think he got like half a million dollars, a pretty big prize. And, um, but you can find his paper, it's like 90 pages, it's a PDF, um, you know, free to read. It's got lots of really great uh, information related to the study of survival of consciousness with tons of links to YouTube videos about this. And so, you know, what, what, what that, if you take kind of that component of it, which is, I would call very compelling evidence for this, this different link between consciousness and material and you say, okay, well, there's something else going on there that, that is different than how we understand it. Uh, that our consciousness seems to be, uh, you know, kind of, it, it persists after our material like goes away. Um, where, you know, then where does it come from? Where does it go? Uh, and then you kind of take that idea and you factor into it, the all the experiences that we have heard of with, you know, regarding... UFOs and uh, and you know, encounters with entities, people who have experiences with entities, how they can kind of do like in what we would call crazy, like 
insane things, you know, like materialize out of nothing or just disappear or, uh, you know, take your body out of your bed and, and like move it through a wall or something like all of these experiences are just bizarre. And I think anybody looking at them goes, this is, you know, how do I reconcile this? This is where, where there, you know, I think where we really struggle, right? Where, where our vocabulary isn't good for this. Like we, we want to think of it purely as this is technological. It's just advanced tech from another civilization that is either has been here a long time or from some other place. And it's really just technology, you know, because that's our framework for understanding what, what, what this might be. At the same time, it's doing things that we just can't comprehend. And so, you know, if, if you, you can take a couple stabs at that, one is that it's just, oh, it's just so advanced that, you know, it breaks the physics that we understand. Well, well what if it's not that? What if it's something that's even more crazy or more fundamental? And that is this consciousness connection that, that these beings, whatever they may be, just have a greater awareness and mastery of their conscious potential than we do and can do things that we, we can't do. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, like I say, I, I don't, I don't claim to understand it um, particularly well, even really, but I have watched the, uh, the series, um, Leslie Kane's uh, series that she was involved with uh, surviving death. I believe it was called. Yeah, and that's that, right. There's some really fascinating things in in there. The um, there was somebody who had the surgical procedure and was able to basically recall certain elements whilst they were completely unconscious. I think I think they actually clinically died for a number of minutes or something, and during that time they were able to pick out certain things that happened in the room. Um, those kind of um, you know anecdotes are, are really really interesting, and it reminds me actually a little bit of the the doors of perception concept mm. that like there's there's and and also something that uh, john keel uh, referred to as well the super spectrum sort of mm -hmm. idea of of like um you know your your sort of awareness is is hemmed in by these doors and and only certain ones can be open at any one particular time otherwise the actual nature of reality would be you know overwhelming sort of thing and right. there's a possibility that certain substances like you know dmt and ayahuasca and things like that are opening other doors as well and the actual nature of reality is outside of those doors and we're just getting a slice of it depending on which doors are open mm -hmm. so do you, do you think that kind of links in with that 100 percent, yeah and uh other folks who are talking about that too would be uh donald hoffman who talks about the um the like the computer screen, the icons that are on your computer screen, hmm. it, you know, you know, that's not a real trash bin that it's on your computer desktop, you know, but it represents a trash bin. It, it, but, you know, really it's all just a bunch of ones and zeros inside the machine. So it's the same kind of thing with what we perceive in, in, in our world, you know, we see color and shape and, you know, smell and, and taste, but they're just representations of something else. Um, and they, you know, they, they allow us to do what we do, survive and, and evolve and propagate and all those kinds of things that, that we call, you know, life. But what is really happening underneath all of that, we, we don't have a first hand connection with, at least it seems that we don't. Um, but, you know, what I find really fascinating is what if, you know, what if, what if there are ways in which we could kind of hack into that? So by kind of uh, like you could think about this through, like you mentioned, through uh, substances like DMT or ayahuasca or psilocybin or through meditation, you know, can we kind of hack our conscious awareness such that we diminish the normal perceptions that we have of our reality and then, you know, try to train up and enhance other perceptions that, that are sort of happening in, in our internal lives. Um, and a lot of people you know, talk about this, there's a whole, you know, sort of library of uh, material out there that folks can explore on what people do with that. And, you know, and, and if this sounds weird, I mean, I think, that, I think that makes, you know, I, I resonate with that too, right? Because it's, you know, yeah, this is the world that we live in. It doesn't operate under those kinds of rules. So we don't really have a good way of, um, of really explaining this or, you know, or, or you, you know, I think probably the other issue is using it, 
right? So in materialism, like we have a good way of explaining certain things and then we can actually use it. We can do things with it. You know, we can create tools, we can create technology. And so it's a very tangible, uh, you know, discipline that we can actually do things with, with this other way of looking at it, you know, how does it work? You know, what, what, what are the limits? What can we do? And I think that's where we really kind of struggle. We don't have the vocabulary. And I, I think, too, I would caution folks from thinking, well, it, it means we can do anything. You know, like if our minds can just imagine that, you know, I could fly out the window or whatever. I, I don't think that, that that's the case. Uh, but, it, you know, it does sort of hint at this ability that we may have to uh, kind of tap into a layer of information that is like the substrate of all that there is. So it may not matter that I'm here and you're, you're there. There may be this underlying layer of information that we can both tap into that we have direct access to, regardless of how far apart we may be. Do you think it's, it's possible that an intelligence sort of like, if you imagine the, you know, again, I'll, I'll go for the doors of perception thing. Cause I'm sort of more familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Like our, the reality as we perceive it as humans is based on several of those doors being opened. You can perhaps open other doors uh, by taking certain substances or getting yourself into a certain state of mind through meditation or whatever. But do you think somewhere through those doors, there could be a portion of reality that we can't access that perhaps uh, an intelligence actually resides within kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for sure. I guess this does make you think that there... Just as we know that there are, there is an abundant a number of of uh, of life that exists on Earth, in all kinds of shapes and, and forms. You know, there may be an equally abundant, you know, assortment of of life, you know, conscious life, sentient life that exists in those realms that that are outside of our human perception. Um, and what. What, what, what can they do? You know, what can what do they look like? I mean, it, it does. I mean, I, one thing I hate about this is it kind of feels like it just, it's like almost like a, a deus ex machina. It's like a God of the gaps, you know, it's just, this explains everything. I think that that, you know, it sounds that way at first glance. What I would sort of call for is that just, we have to, we have to study this more and test it under, to try to better understand how it really works but it could very well be that, you know, just as you're saying, that there are uh, entities that exist in these realms outside of our perception that have their own, you know, way of interacting with we would, with, with what we would call physical reality that is completely different than how we interact with it. So, you know, they can manifest in our physical reality, you know, in a way that we can't in their reality, if that makes sense. Um, and it may be it's a... You know, it's kind of like a, a ladder, there may be a kind of a ladder of consciousness. Like you can only get so high on a rung as, as a human. Uh, but after, you know, after that, there may be higher rungs on the ladder that, that allow you to look all the way down, you know, but you can't, you can't lo- look up past a certain rung that, that you're on. Hmm. You think that sort of like could potentially end up as like a, a, post-biological life form kind of thing where consciousness is no longer sort of like confined to a, a biological body perhaps you know in, in some kind of computer system type thing like an upload of your consciousness to a computer or something that maybe even is way beyond that we can't even imagine yet mm-hmm. yeah i've wondered about that because the in this model the brain is merely a projection of the mind like it's not the other way and so, it, you know, the question I would ask is, if that's true, can you really reach a kind of consciousness, like you and I understand consciousness, through a technological means? You know, so it, it almost makes it seem as if you could build this, you know, brain computer, let's call it that for lack of a better term, but you'll, it'll never be conscious in the way that we are because that's not, that's literally not how consciousness works, you know? Mm. Um, maybe it is though that a conscious entity could uh, take advantage of the brain computer. You know, so it, it basically exists outside of the brain computer, but but could utilize it in such a way that it could do things in the reality that we operate in. And that also explains, you know, a lot of the things that the, we see in the phenomenon, right? That they can 
somehow magically like turn nukes off and on, you know, they, they, they can get into our technology and, and just do things, you know, so maybe that that's how it's happening. Hmm. <clears throat> so yeah, that kind of leads in actually to something I wanted to ask you ever, ever since you asked me a, a similar question when I was a guest on Colin All Beans, um, do you have any kind of leading hypothesis uh, to explain what could be behind the UFO phenomenon? And I guess, like I say, this could be part of what we were talking about just now. Yeah, no, I think it is all, it's definitely related. And if you look at the the history of uh, the study of UFOs, it, 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 the, the hot topic now really is consciousness. A lot of the folks that have been in this game the longest, you know, you look at Jacques Fillet, um, you look at... Uh, Grant Cameron, who we just had on the show not long ago, you know, they're really kind of landing and becoming big proponents of consciousness as the sort of a- answer here. Even I, I even saw Tom DeLonge had a, a quote uh, that I saw shared today. I forget where it came from, but he was talking about this very issue of consciousness. Um, so there is, uh, there seem to be a lot of, you know, arrows pointing in this direction. Uh, I mean, Bigelow too, you know, here's a guy who's been in the game forever. Um, how put off with the stuff that he's done uh, with uh, uh, the psychokinesis and um, remote viewing. Uh, so, you know, to me, it does seem to be related. What I think it, the questions I have then are when it comes to like the entities and things, you know, what are they, where they come from? I, I think I'm still not quite sure the answer to those questions, you know, that, are they from other galaxies or in, in another dimension? Um, when you look at it from this model, that question kind of becomes in some ways like irrelevant, like because galaxies and the universe that we understand it is, is just our, is our kind of projection of, of how it really is. But if how it, how it actually is, is quite different and there's not the distance that is right now our problem is distance you know everything is just so vast that we can't understand how an advanced civilization would get here you know across these distances but but in our model the distance is a problem it's in, in this other model di- distance isn't a problem at all so like the, this light this speed of light limitation isn't actually a, a problem um and so you know it could very well be that underneath this layer that we are so comfortable with, there's this sort of like this vast zoo of life, you know, that, that, that is there and can come and go as it pleases, uh, you know, and intersect with our reality in ways that, that we currently don't understand, but it's doing it through this consciousness layer. Mm. Do you have any thoughts as to why it would intersect with our reality? Like, is it is it just like um, an accidental thing, like just as part of a process that we don't understand, they just so happen to appear, and then whilst whilst they do kind of intersect with our reality at that moment, for some reason they interact with us? Because there seems to be like an element of interaction as well. It's not just like a, you know, a, they're passing through or something. They actually do react to things within our our perceived reality kind of thing, don't they? It, they do, and so I do wonder about that. I wonder if it's um, a, sort of a byproduct of our increasing awareness of this of this itself. You know, so like the more that we become aware of the role consciousness plays in 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 the in our world, the closer the boundary of our understanding like kind of comes into contact with the way things re- really are. And so, because we are edging closer to that there's kind of this like bleed through that it's happening and it's just happening with even greater frequency uh, because it, it, it naturally would as things expand, as our, as our awareness expands over time. Um, so, you know, and then there's certainly other theories related to that, you know, maybe these other intelligences observe us and, you know, are seeing that we are kind of getting to a place, a precarious place in our development where, you know, helping us one way or, or pushing us in an, another way may be advantageous to them or not advantageous to them. I mean, that's kind of one aspect of the phenomenon that isn't talked about a lot. We kind of like to talk about it in terms of, uh, is the world ready to know about the phenomenon, but is the phenomenon ready for us to be more involved with it, right? So, mm-hmm. I think that, to me, that's the big, the bigger question because, like, if, if that becomes, uh, you know, the, the new normal, if the world now knows that we're not alone, 
we're going to want more interaction with it. You know, we're going to expect more interaction with it. And does it want that? You know, it's like you have a, uh, like you got new neighbors in the, in the neighborhood and, and maybe they're not great neighbors, so, but you can't avoid them. Like you have to deal with them. And so, uh, do you, do you want that or would you rather keep them in the dark and, and not have to, you know, kind of deal with their, with all their, all of their, their problems of which we have very many, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some people have kind of suggested, you know, the, about the crypto terrestrial type of hypothesis and, um, something I've thought about quite a bit recently is the possibility of like a, a, an earthly advanced civilization in the past. And some of the really amazing structures from our humans past, do you think there could have been an element of perhaps some knowledge that was gained through being able to access certain parts of reality that perhaps we haven't tapped into that was enabled them to be able to make those kind of, you know, technological feats, basically, like the, the um, I don't know if you're f- familiar with that side of things, but like, for example, the uh, the really, really precise 100-ton granite blocks in the Serapium in Egypt and things like that, it just, I can't think of any explanation for how they would have done that. And I, I sometimes, I'm not going down the path of saying, oh, aliens did it then, sort of thing. But perhaps, you know, this thing about reality that we've talked about, perhaps there is some kind of knowledge that can be gained by tapping into some, some elements of of reality that we're not aware of and maybe they use that have you thought about that much yeah no completely um the age of the earth is really old and um you know we don't know a lot about it and i forget who it was but there's someone who did some scientists who were doing kind of like a funny thought experiment and they were basically saying if the dinosaurs had become an advanced civilization like we wouldn't even have evidence of it, like it, because the you know geological time is so vast, and you know, sort of the process of uh, geological change is so severe that there there would you know be very little evidence of a prior advanced civilization that would be left. But yeah, I mean to to your point, I I, I do agree because the under the, this model, uh, physicality isn't like a limitation; it's a it's a manifestation of consciousness. So. If, uh, if there's some kind of, if the, if the technology is an extension of our conscious ability, then a lot of things become possible, you know, in that, in that new way of looking at it. Again, I don't know how that works, but it, it's easy to sort of think about that. Yeah. I mean, we could maybe somehow, you know, cleave the, the granite in a way that we don't even need a, a physical tool to do it. You know, we, we could move it with, you know, a, a process of levitation. I don't know. I mean, none of these things sound very fantastical, but under this way of looking at it, there there may very well be uh, a kind of a pathway to doing that. Yeah, it's, it's something that would also explain if there is, like I say, an element of some some element of consciousness like being able to open one of those doors of perception and, and gain some knowledge or perhaps even communicate with entities in in that particular you know portion of reality that could then tell you about how to do certain things if that that technology quote unquote was some kind of consciousness based technology it also explain as well as just the, the sheer time involved which may erase any evidence of it anyway but if it's consciousness based it would also explain why there's not many remnants of that technology. It may not be as simple as like material technology, like what we've created, you know, the modern humans have created. There may actually be, like you say, some kind of consciousness based technology that they use to actually make these, these devices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. C- agree. hundred uh, percent. That does seem to answer a lot of those questions, but you know, the, the other side of it is, you know, for those that are, you know, kind of, I can see a lot of the audience probably rolling their eyes right with this conversation. Cause it yeah. is, I know I recognize how it sounds. Um, so on the other end of this, it, you know, and I've heard other people say this, uh, so I, I'm stealing from some others that, that have brought up this point, but by kind of blaming or attributing is a better way attributing some of the megalithic structures to kind of fantastical different models of consciousness or to aliens or whatever, we in some ways diminish uh, our own human potential and, and capability uh, that human beings, uh, you know, very well could have had some crazy 
thing that we did that created that. And because, because we can't figure it out, doesn't mean that they couldn't have figured it out. We, I think we, we have this, uh, there's a fallacy that we, you know, easily entertain. And that is, you know, the, the knowledge we have now is, is superior than the knowledge that we had in the past. You know, that the brains we have now are somehow smarter than the brains we had in the past. Hmm. And the truth is like, they were really smart too. And they just had different ways of understanding the way in which the world worked. And so it's, it's certainly possible that, you know, they had developed some kind of technology that uh, we, you know, we just can't think of, or just maybe the sheer, you know, number of people working on that project uh, were able to create those things. I mean, as hard as it is to imagine, you know, maybe that is, you know, kind of how it worked. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have heard that kind of um, that, that sort of argument, I guess you could say, about like um, you know, it does diminish like the, the the achievements of of humans in the past. But I kind of look at it a slightly different way, more like actually, maybe humans in the past were capable of really, really amazing things that that you know perhaps we haven't even managed to. Uh, achieve as as modern humans you know they kind of zigged when we zagged and they ended up with this some kind of other consciousness based you know technology but obviously I, I don't know any of this for a fact you know it's all just speculation and I find it interesting to ponder the the possibilities of how they came up with these incredible feats of engineering you know uh, back in our uh, distant past um but, you know, it also links in with that actual crypto terrestrial type of civilization which may exist, you know, here on the Earth. Let's say, just hypothetically, that there was one of these advanced civilizations that had managed to tap into some kind of, like, say, consciousness, perhaps, technology or some kind of amazing technology and made all of these structures, like in Egypt and all around the world, you know, the, the walls in Machu Picchu and things like that, Um maybe they had to kind of go underground or you know sort of hide in plain sight you know during a cataclysm or something like that and then they just stayed there that's basically mm -hmm. the the kind of the concept of the crypto terrestrial you know hypothesis do you think there's anything to that i mean i'm not suggesting that i do it's not like my you know the, the thing that i focus on but i do find it fascinating so i've wondered your thoughts yeah i also find that really interesting and um you know, the question that, that that follows for me with that line of thought is, you know, do they just want to be left alone? You know, like, because it seems, it, it seems to me that if they could do it and they're here, that they just, they want to be left alone and they only sort of get involved when they absolutely have to. But most of the planet, I mean, not... So there's a great deal of the Earth that isn't that isn't on the surface, right? Obviously, there's a lot of mm. there's a lot of uh, you know volume inside the uh, uh, the planet, uh, and our uh, geological understanding says that it's you know it's full of stuff, full of very dense things. Um, of course, our oceans are are also very large, uh, but you know it's a it's definitely a weird perspective, and I, I think just as a as a modern human, I have a hard time understanding why. You know, they would they would sort of want it that way to just kind of be completely divorced from these other intelligent beings who occupy the same planet that you do and just not interact with them. That just seems kind of strange to me. At the same time, I mean, we do behave, just look at anything that's going on in the world right now. We do behave pretty primitively still, you know? And um, as long as we're not a threat to them, maybe it is better that we just kind of don't interact and and it, to make themselves known to us we would start invading their space in a way that they wouldn't want so i could I, I kind of understand that too it's like this dynamic between if you're an extrovert and an introvert you know you're just you're happier not talking with a lot of people so you're an introvert and that's you know i get that um so i don't know it's uh but it is a really cool theory and i and again i think it speaks to the fact that we just don't know a lot about our history we we have a lot of things that we're discovering and we're just, we continue to discover more and more. And I, you know, it's, it's really weird, right? Cause when you're a kid and you're learning and you're in school, at least this was my experience, you have this, uh, you kind of adopt this assumption. Like we've, you know, we've pretty much got a lot of this figured out. Like we understand history and, you know, we know kind of how these great civilizations kind of moved from one to the other and, all these different empires and, and it's just very neat and tidy. Like it all kind of makes sense. And then as you get older and you keep hearing about new discoveries that kind of change the, 
evolutionary timeline for for human development or the timeline for uh, civilization uh, or growth and expansion in the world, you kind of go, wait a minute, like, I thought this was all settled, but you're telling me that it's there's a lot of open-ended questions here? Like, it's really, <laughs> it's a difficult thing to kind of cope with. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you think about it that way. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um like you say, when you when you grow up, you kind of fed a version of our history that is very fixed. Whereas actually, I think there is a lot of questions to be asked within that, and especially as new information becomes available, like some of the archaeological, you know, finds that have that have happened very fairly recently. You know, point to a, a slightly different timeline of history than perhaps what we were we were told. And I think it's a bit like. Um, you know, within science, there's a lot of people talk about this kind of, you know, the dogmatic approach where we have a fixed version of, of the way that things work and, and that's people can get a bit tied into that. It's very similar, I think, with history, um, you know, particularly like the, the ancient history and, and that kind of thing. Like some of the findings of, uh, you know, Graham Hancock and things like that were, were completely ridiculed for a long time. And, that, and then actually it turns out that there's some of his points that he's put forward have actually been proven correct in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, I think you do have to leave all the options on the table, even if they do sound uh, pretty you know pretty out there kind of thing i mean it's when i first started to really dig into this topic a couple of years ago you know it's led me in some some pretty bizarre directions you know i mean we're here we are talking about the nature of reality and whether or not there could have been a, a advanced civilization with a consciousness technology you know it's but it, they're all interesting to consider but i i think the key thing is to you know not get too tied to any one particular way of looking at it just keep, keep you know the John Ramirez is, uh, had that quote, you know, embrace widely, hold lightly. And mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I don't want any more tattoos, but that'd be a good tattoo. <laughs> That's um, brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, another thing that you asked me when I was on cab, which um, I was actually quite intrigued to hear your thoughts, um, is do you have any ideas about what the different shapes of UAP that are witnessed actually represent? For example, orbs, saucers, tic tacs, triangles, boomerangs, etc. That's a great question. Um, that's another one that's like really confounding uh, because they're they're obviously they're kind of like so many shapes that are out there, but the, a lot of the shapes for UFOs uh, seem to be you know unique, almost like a snowflake. You know, they're they're similar, but they have these unique di- differences. And then, as you mentioned, the orbs and uh, triangular shaped craft and all this kind of other uh, other things that we've heard about in the literature you know i do think it is it's a it's a logical conclusion to look at those different things and say these are uh you know different technologies these may even be different uh entities types of craft um or they could all be the same thing you know like they could all come from the same place we as you said it's uh until we have better information we kind of have to entertain a lot of the different possibilities um on the other hand, like we're, we're going to be talking to Richard Doty later, and I know there's a lot of different opinions on him in the community, and, and I respect all of those. Uh, but I was listening to an interview that he did recently, and he's got all of this like confident, you know, like there are five entities that, that are here, and they have you know, different kinds of agendas. And, you know, you hear that, and you're like, well, man, is it, is it really just that simple? You know, is it is it a lot of the stuff that we have kind of adopted or, or entertained or speculated about? Is that just this add-on in the lack of good information? And the real the reality is, it's a lot simpler. You know, it really is just you know sort of different entities, just like we are, from different civilizations that are from other parts of the universe, and and they because they can have interacted with us, and we in some ways have interacted with them. You know, I wonder about that a lot. Like, is a lot of kind of modern ufology just like still like trying to disentangle from some of the basics, you know, because there's been so much disinformation over time. And, uh, you know, I saw too today, those of you who are familiar with uh, Stuart Davis, who's an experiencer. If you haven't heard his uh, experience, I highly recommend it because he's just so well spoken about it. But, uh, you know, his kind of message is that we shouldn't be chasing, you know, sort of 
government UFO data. Like he's he's saying the better data is from all of these people around us who who are saying to us, like, I have had an experience with an actual entity and they are telling me this. You know, so I, I, I kind of I do wrestle with that because as you know, Frank, like there's a as many as as, as if you have a hundred experiencers, you're gonna have a hundred different experiences. So like how do I how do I judge those and say, you know, this is what's really going on. Cause there seem to be variances across each of those experiences. So I think that, that that's where I struggle. I also struggle with, uh, you know, when we talk about disclosure, the way in which information in our modern day is like a- absorbed or disseminated or agreed upon, you know, what, what, what is the, what are the channels that information has to go through to reach the audience, which would be the world in the, this case, for us to go, okay, now we agree that's what's happening. You know, what what are the parties that have to deliver that message for us to all look at each other and go, yes, that's how it is. Because you know just as well as I do, in the age of information, there there's a doubt for every claim. You know, so what will it take? I don't think it's going to take just a, a government panel saying, here's what, what's, here's what we know. And that, and everyone's just going to go, okay, great. Like that, that must be what it is. I think it's going to take a lot of different groups of people who pockets of our, of our civilization look to as authority. And those, the, those groups of people, and I'm thinking, I'm talking about our scientists, our politicians, you know, our philosophers, our, our artists, quite frankly, these people who have platforms that, that the rest of us look to for, you know, kind of creating that consensus reality. It's those people collectively, in a way, who have to be able to deliver the message about what it really is. And that's why I think disclosure is like an unfolding, like it's not a, it's not a one-pager you know, it's like a flower blossoming, you know, so it starts to bloom and then, you know, little by little new petals kind of uh, unfold and it is, it takes time and it actually is a very cooperative process as well. It, it's, um, it's, it's a dance. That's probably a better analogy, you know, like the, the, the parties that have information offer a little bit and then those who, who hear it go, wait a minute, I've had this, I, I now feel like I can tell you something that I've experienced because you've said that. So then that knowledge gets entered into the equation. And then that, that builds and builds and builds until together as a civilization, we have shared enough knowledge and information where we can go, yes, like this is what's really happening. Yeah. It's something that really intrigues me that the, um, the concept of like disclosure and, and where, you know where? Because I, I, first of all, I think disclosure is kind of more of a process rather than just an instantaneous thing that's just going to happen one day and everybody knows what's going on with everything and so on. Mm-hmm. But it's like you know, where are we actually going to get progress towards figuring out what's going on with this this big mystery, basically? You know, and it, it, the the experiences thing. Do you think there's a possibility that if there is, you know, some kind of non-human intelligence? that actually one way to to bring about gradual disclosure would actually be to just contact individuals directly in, in, and, and implant sort of like, you know, certain things within the, you know, the global consciousness, if you will. Like, you know, everybody sort of reports the s- similar things but with all slight differences. And perhaps that would actually be a more efficient way to gradually kind of reveal yourself to the human race rather than the old classic thing of like landing on the white house lawn or something that would obviously be a massive shock wouldn't it Mm -hmm. if there is if there is an advanced intelligence they're probably going to be well advanced you know they're not just going to do something as as silly as just show up with all the lights on and land in front of the white house so do do you think there's any possibility that that could be what's happening here yeah i do i think um if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense to do it the way you've described it, right? So, mm-hmm. it, it, if you have the capability to do it that way, right? So, and it seems as if that they they do. So, um, it does seem to be, we could call it maybe a smoother transition, you know, to sort of seed this knowledge and information amongst a wide, you know, population 
and do it in a way that they either cognitively remember it or subconsciously have kind of forgotten about it, but do that to such a point of saturation where when the moment does come, there isn't this, you know, kind of like violent immune response from the world to this new revelatory experience. You know, instead it's kind of more just like an awakening, you know, it's like, uh, yes, like I'm, I'm waking up, I'm waking up from a little bit of amnesia. You know, now I remember like, this is, I know this, like, I understand this. If you could do it that way, like that would definitely be the way to do it. Now I will say this about that as a, as a human being with what I like to think of as my own agency and my own, you know, sort of degree of like self-sovereignty, you know, it does kind of bother me that that would be like, it, it seems like a clear invasion of my privacy, right. To be able to do that. And then it begs the question, I think it has to, what is the motive of these intelligences who have this capability are can they be trusted? You know, that, that's certainly something that I've wrestled with quite a bit, you know, because the truth is that um, in, in some respects, if not many respects, we are dealing with an, an asymmetric relationship. They are far more intelligent, have far more capability than we have. And when you're in an asymmetric relationship, how do you trust whatever they're telling you is, is okay, is, is right? You know, you you really would need to see a lot of, um, you know, kind of olive branches or reciprocity or, you know, real relationship with that other intelligence before you could go, you know what, I really do trust them now. I mean, just think about how you trust a friend. You know, you don't trust a friend the very first day you meet them. You know, you, you develop time and you've been through experiences that with them. And over that, over that, over that period of time, you gain trust. So we will need the same thing here. You know, we'll, we'll need to, I think, have to have that uh, development. And if we can't get that, then we would be very right to be skeptical of their motives uh, for for us. Yeah, it's all part of the uh, the big mystery, isn't it? I suppose. And um, speaking of uh, the mystery, just before we uh, wrap up. There's a lot of areas to keep an eye on at the moment, particularly this year and beyond, in terms of actually learning more and hopefully getting some answers on all of this mystery. So we've got like the the Galileo project, UAPX. You know, I suppose you could put the James Webb Telescope in there as well, and obviously the upcoming government reports. So I was just wondering, is there a particular area that you're excited about uh, to keep an eye on? Well, the James Webb, for sure. Uh, I just love that we have pulled that off. It's amazing to me that we've executed that so well. And I can't wait to see what it brings back. Um, and then the stuff that's happening with Congress, you know, the the reports that will be coming out. And hopefully we'll get some, you know, kind of tidbits from that, some leaks from that. Uh, and then UAPX as well. I mean, I definitely... It, it, they seem to be making some hints that they've got some, you know, compelling data that they want to share. So, you know, very excited to see what comes from that. You know, just as we talked about earlier, I think the more that is shared from these different sources, and, and you know, Galileo too, the more that comes out from these different places, the better, the better equipped we are to actually accept it, you know. Like if it comes from one source, that's more of a problem than if it comes from lots of sources. So I think, you know, that gives it that uh, validity that we need in order to be ready to accept additional truths about whatever it is. So, so I don't think this, you know, my perspective is this isn't going to be a one and done. Just as you said, it's not like disclosure, great, pack it up, we're done. Um, (laughs) I think this is going to be a very long time. You know, I've I've come to the place with my own uh, relationship with this topic to thinking that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to see all of it. You know, it's, it's really going to be generational uh, change. And, uh, you know, that unfortunately, that's the case. But what I'm hoping to get those, you know, sometime before I go, I get some additional piece of what's happening there. Because I just, I mean, wouldn't how cool would that be right to really learn that there's so much more to this than than what we think we know 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, the exciting thing about the present time is that there are so many of those different sort of like, you know, irons in the fire sort of thing. There's so many different areas to keep an eye on that, that could definitely bring some some good results. So um, anyway, yeah, I think that's uh, that's a, basically a wrap for today. So just before we finish up, could you just uh, tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, and I, I I do follow your show and enjoy the content that you put out. It's just it's really really good. Uh, but you, you can find me on uh, a few places. Um, so on YouTube, you can find uh, the shows that I'm on there. One is Calling All Beings, so you can find that channel and our episodes. And then I co-host another show called Liminal Frames, and that's Frames with a PH. Uh, and I co-host that with Exo Academian, and that content is available on his YouTube channel, which is the Exo Academian channel. Definitely encourage folks to check that out. He's got an excellent podcast called Point of Convergence, and uh, the Liminal Frames episodes are just now interspersed with, uh, with with his show. So those are the places to get me in terms of the you know the podcast material, and then I'm on Twitter as well under at Awaif Soul which is a bit of a weird tw- Twitter handle and it's got a whole story to it, but we don't, that might be time for another day. Uh, yeah. So uh, just to the spelling of that is a W a I F S O U L. Is that right? right? Correct. Yeah. There you go. Memorized it and everything you see. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thanks very much again, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Anytime. UFO Super Podcast.